1: Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Dawny Wampo, a Senior Portfolio Manager in London, and I'm joined by my colleague, Felicity Selko, a Senior Investment Advisor, also based in London. More than five years ago with the US election, we needed to truly understand the inner workings of the US political system. More than two years ago, with the onset of COVID, we needed to understand epidemiology. Turning to the present day, inflation has returned of a vengeance, and we must navigate what this means for central bank policy. So today, we shall be focusing on central banks and helping to demystify the so-called neutral rate of interest to set the scene for our listeners. Felicity, let's set some context and explain the current environment
2: we're in. Sure, thanks Dawn. So the current environment that we're in at the moment is an environment where the Anglo-Saxon central banks are advancing fairly fast on their way to an orthodox monetary policy, or what some call a normalisation, with rate hikes in Australia, Canada, the UK and the US. The need for this correction is the highest in the US, in our view, since the fiscal stimulus of the last two years has really contributed around 3% to the current core inflation rate of 6.4%. Essentially, consumers have had more cash in their wallets And this has pushed up prices due to the higher demand for goods and services. And it's also helped support wage growth in the lowest pay sectors, such as hospitality and leisure in the US. Even with fiscal stimulus waning this year, core inflation remains well above the Federal Reserve's tolerance level. And so our view is that the US central bank will rapidly close the gap and increase interest rates up to this so-called neutral rate. So I think it's safe to say
1: terms used in economic textbooks are brought to life once again. I think it's worthwhile explaining the neutral rate of interest. So firstly, this is not technical language confined to only central bankers, but we also make reference to this rate of interest. And more frequently, we are hearing investment strategists and asset allocators refer to this. I'd say key matters to understand, um, it goes by different names, it's a theoretical concept, and it's heavily debated. So firstly, the neutral rate of interest, as I said, goes by different names. It's also referred to as the natural or equilibrium rate of interest, or simply our start. It is the interest rate that simultaneously maintains an economy's output at its potential level and stable inflation at a target level. Academically, though, is often referred to in real terms. I'd also add it can't be observed directly. It's a theoretical concept. And in fact, on this very topic, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard gave a presentation in 2018 titled, Our Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. However, policy makers and economic researchers aim to estimate the neutral rate as a guide to monetary policy using various economic models. It does largely depend on the economic model used and the range of outcomes can therefore be large. But if I was to take a step back, thinking about it as the rate that neither stimulates nor restrains economic growth, I think it's quite nicely named as well as the Goldilocks rate of interest. It's already easy to see why it's heavily debated, but let's explore that further. Does the neutral rate change over time?
2: Yes, absolutely. It's not fixed. It is not unconditional as it depends on structural changes to the economy. For example, demographics, productivity, or change in risk aversion. To try and put some numbers to this theoretical story that we're discussing, the weighted average estimate of the neutral rate for five major economic areas, Canada, the euro area, Japan, the UK and the US, has declined to approximately half a percent. That's two percentage points below the average natural rate that prevailed in the two decades before the financial crisis. These estimates, and they are estimates, show that there are no signs in the short term of moving back to what was previously considered normal levels even though economies have recovered from the recent crisis, which is the COVID crisis. Given the demographic trends we are observing and sustained productivity growth slowdown around the world, there is the potential for the neutral rate to not mean revert to previous levels. And like you said, this is all a game of adjusting your variables and it is open to debate.
1: In practice, we believe the US central bank will rapidly close the gap below the neutral rate. Which we see moving towards three to three and a half percent, up from the Fed's current estimate of the federal funds rate longer run production of two and a quarter to two and a half percent. Nominal. The market is expecting the gap to the neutral rate to close relatively fast, though. In addition to rate hikes, we expect monetary conditions will tighten further as we expect the Fed to embark on reducing the size of its balance sheet. Looking at the minutes from the last. Fed meeting also suggests balance sheet runoff will be at a faster pace compared to 2017 and 19 episodes. We believe, though, we are still far away from the complete return to the pre-quantitative easing world of nominal yields, converging to the level of nominal economic
2: growth. If we go back to the neutral rate of interest and how this can differ, let's put some real life examples. So in Europe, both core inflation and wage growth are much lower than in the US. So the European Central Bank is accordingly under less pressure to tighten immediately. The ECP at the moment do not publish their estimate of the neutral rate, but market estimates of the neutral rate for Europe at the moment are around 0 to 1.5% as a guide. Demographic trends such as an ageing population can influence the differences in the neutral rate. In addition to other factors like consumer saving rates, sensitivities to global shocks, And current account deficits or surpluses. Politics also plays a role. The constraining factor for the ECB, in our view at the moment, remains the risk of fragmentation, i.e., the risk of the end of the economic and monetary union as a whole or the expulsion of specific members. We saw spikes in fragmentation risk during the European debt crisis of 2011 2012 and during the Italian elections of 2018. The ECB actually tries to calculate some of this stress within the EMU bond market with a proprietary index. And this has actually turned higher in anticipation of a more restrictive ECB monetary stance and the end of its huge asset purchase program, which is potentially in the third quarter of this year. Dawn, what was the outcome of the latest ECB meeting?
1: From the last ECB meeting, certain to say that the European Central Bank continues its path towards monetary policy normalisation with prudence and caution, very much a stance that they've taken even in their prior meetings too, thereby rejecting aggressive financial market expectations. It's fair to say risk to the inflation outlook have risen, but so have risks to the economic outlook. Developments remain uncertain, which is why the central bank was keen to defend the need to maintain optionality, gradualism, and flexibility in the context of monetary policy. Their own words from the press conference. So we've talked a lot around theoretical concepts, and it will be interesting to see how the next few months of rate hikes play out. But what else are we seeing in practice that will impact markets for the remainder of the year, Felicity?
2: Looking out to the end of this year and moving away a little bit from theory, we think there are three elements that will characterize markets and influence some of the data points that we end up seeing. Firstly, the fragmentation of the commodities market due to financial and trade sanctions. This inevitably leads to higher production costs and ultimately higher, possibly stickier inflation. The second, I would say... Is the creation of short-term costs and higher capital demand due to government's intervention in the shift to renewable energies. We started to really see this post-COP26 and we're continuing to see that pressure. And thirdly, the reduction of the private sector surplus, which together with financial repression is a key factor in low real bond yields. And this reduction we really feel will be escalated due to higher European spending On the military on defense and also on the refugee crisis i think we can both agree that we'll continue to hear terms such as the neutral rate or the natural rate used in conversations whether it be with fund managers investment strategists or clients and hopefully we've been able to give an overview of what this means and our view on the topic thank you all for listening today and please do join us again on the beyond markets podcast where in upcoming episodes, our colleagues will be discussing other macro topics and also the earnings season that we are in the middle of as we record.
0: You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research.